Welcome to the, the Midweek, Midweek Debrief with your hosts, the London Bonnie and Scrambler of London. Welcome to episode eight. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back. It's been a cold, uh, fresh week, hasn't it? It has indeed. And your ride over this morning was in what, minus five? Yeah, minus five this morning. It was absolutely bitter. Um, I was sort of praying for red lights just so I could get my hands on the engine to keep a bit of warmth in them because I don't have heated grips. So any warmth helps. I've forever been telling Jed he needs to get heated grips and he's denied it. He's denied it. And no, last no, no. winter, last winter wasn't that cold. No, it wasn't. Like by relative to what we have yeah. at the moment. It was like, we, I think we had maybe one or two days below freezing, but that yeah, was it. it. wasn't that bad. Whereas this, we've got like week after week after week where it's, it's sub-zero. It was coming over uh, from east to west. Um, there's the one stretch of road that's it's the A40, so it's 30 mile an hour stretch and it goes for quite a bit. And when you're just sitting there cruising along at a consistent pace, that's when you start feeling the cold wind on your knees and oh. it just creeps. It's horrible. It's horrible. But we made it and... Warm now, cup of tea, ready to go. Perfect. So we've got a bit of catching up to do. We do indeed. We've seen each other a fair bit this week, haven't we? We have, yeah. Bike show, we've been here, we've been there. Um, we've had a good weekend, haven't we? Where, where were we yesterday? So Duke of, uh, Duke of London, yeah. So we uh, they do a thing, I think it's once a month. They do cake and classics, so classics and cakes. So people can just bring their classic cars down, have a coffee and a cake, and just chat all things petrol. What is Duke of London? How would you describe it? Because So this is one thing we missed in our um, sort of biking hotspots oh, yes. in London. Yeah, yeah. Um, so essentially, it's a classic car dealer, um, but also has a lot of cars on display and they have a wine bar there and a cobbler and a pizzeria. And so you can essentially go there whenever and just have a look at the their stock, I suppose. Yeah. Um, grab a pizza and just chill out. And I think a lot of people just go there to meet up and chat cars and catch up and yeah it's a cool place it is a cool place so i would recommend it if you're ever in the brentford slash chiswick area yeah it's definitely <clears throat> it's definitely not on the way to anything it's like it's it's sort yeah. of its own destination yeah you have to sort of go out your way to get there yeah it's not like the shed where we'd be like oh let's just quick coffee at the shed or it's not it's just a bit further out but it's still really cool yeah and i guess it being further out means that there's more space and all that sort of thing but it's like from an aesthetic point of view, it's really, I think it's really smart. Yeah, the way they've um, yeah decorated the place is really cool. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. very cool. Old signage and neon lights and yeah, it's very sort of period. Yeah, so we cruised over there on the bikes. There was what maybe five of us. So I think five or six of us. Yeah. Yeah, sort of mixture of Triumphs and Harleys. Yeah, and then one Maving electric bike. Yeah. So, can we just talk about the Maving very quickly? Because I've yes. I was out when was it? on Friday. And Harry, one of our very good friends, had it had it on loan from their Covent Garden shop. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, the Maving RM1, which is the model, which sounds a little bit like R1M, which is... Yeah. <laughs> Completely different you know, story. Yeah. It's not an R1M. It's a Maving RM1, and it's an electric bike. It's the equivalent of a 125 in yeah. terms of power. Um, it is battery-operated, fully electric. It's got a motor on the rear wheel. Yeah, the hub motor. A hub motor. And it is sort of styled classically 
Yeah, I would say it's almost like a bobber with that sort of solo yeah. seat. Solo seat, but the way the way they've designed the engine, if you could call it that, just probably the wrong word. You know, a name will come out of the woodwork at some point for what you call that. It just how it fills the front, the battery compartment, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but it looks kind of classic, and they and it's got that braided kind of tube for all the wire that, and that stuff. Tube yeah. for the wire. It, it looks cool, and that almost looks like an exhaust and and also thing. And then it's got a tank, which is is where one of the batteries is kept. Yeah, so I saw your, batteries. Your, yeah. your story, yeah. Yeah, and so it sort of slides out and then there's a second battery underneath. So that you've got two of them, 12 kilos each, so it's 24 kilos in total, which actually, they're quite heavy when you Yeah, 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 I can imagine. So, it's very interesting because it was the first time that I've ever been on an electric bike. Is it really? Yep. And it was, it was not what I expected. It's completely different. It's, it's a completely yeah. different experience. So the only thing, I test rode one of the uh, live wires, um, when they had them at Bike Shed a few months ago. And I suppose that's your, your big bike equivalent. So that thing is, the torque is insane. So it was sort of September time, I think. So the roads were still dry. It was relatively warm. But when you gave this the beans out of corners and stuff, the back end, you can feel it twitching. Wow. It had serious power, but it doesn't feel like a bike. It's a completely, it's, it's like a category of its own. Yeah, it is. I So the Maving, I'm almost... I've had a lot of people messaging me saying, what do you think of Maving? What do you think of Electrobytes? I'm always going to hold off from forming an opinion just yet because I feel like yeah. I've got to try a few bikes because I can't just say I've tried this one bike. It's early days, yeah. isn't it? But so far, so good in a way. I mean, it was it, it's fine. Like if you're, if you're getting on it and you're expecting it to be like a normal bike, then your expectations are in the wrong place. But exactly. if you see it as its own category, then yeah, it's really interesting. It is. And I mean, he kept up with us the whole day. Yeah. Um, and it was it was fine, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There was fear that he would run out of battery power. Yeah, but he didn't. No, it was all good. So it's cool. Now, I've got a few bits of news from my MCN newsletter. Oh yeah, let's. Hear uh, well, it. it's, as is customary, I just have to quickly rattle through these because it's quite interesting. To see yes. what you think? Okay, number one is they're saying that MOTs may now be once every two years as opposed to once every year. Now, for those who don't know, MOT is like uh, the annual health check for a motor vehicle in the UK. It's normally every one year, but they're saying that because of the cost of living crisis, they might bump it up to every two years. It's about £55 for a check yeah. on average. And they're saying to sort of alleviate that annual cost from people, they say it's every two years. What do you think? I think that's really good. Yeah. Because I always dread MOT time. Oh, it's annoying, isn't it? Because I know that I look after my bikes and my cars and I know that just it's it's almost like a money-making scheme. And I don't think... I think it's actually other countries that do it every other year right. as opposed to every year. Yeah. Um, so I think it's heading in the right direction. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just an inconvenience. It is. And also, it is only once a year, but it feels like it comes around very quickly, especially yeah. if you've got more than one bike. It's like, yes. It feels like every every four months, there's a kind of there's there's an MOT and, and, and it almost takes a kind of a day out of your life yeah. because it's like, find the big number plate, find this bit, find that <laughs> bit, bolt it all together, you know, have it put yeah. in and then you take it down to the place. And, and it's one of, MOT is one of those weird ones where you don't leave the bike and then go home. No, you just because sit with it. Yeah. You practically wait. Cause it's what's it, about half an hour, maybe just over. Yeah. Sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes longer. And it's always an extra 10 minutes here and there. And then, you know, you've gone and had a coffee and you're just sort of loitering. And yeah. So you just sort of lose time. So I think it's a really cool idea. It is, yeah. I fully support that. Um, so yeah. Next one. Bike sales are up 8% since 2019, which is the last pre-COVID year. 
Mm. Which is quite quite considerable. It is. Which basically is telling us that more people are getting on bikes. Yeah, so I can actually... So I have a friend who works in a bike shop in Kent. Um, he's a mechanic there, but he said that during his, his busiest period was those spots between COVID when everything was open. He said people were just going in and buying bikes. Yeah. Um, whether it was the money they were getting from the government for their sort of <laughs> time off work. But he noticed the bike sales going up in that period. So it's quite interesting to see that it's caused the spike. I think maybe maybe people don't want to go on public transport as much. And they're looking at it as a cheaper alternative. Yeah, or, or it's or it's just people are following the accounts. Or people are just yeah, <laughs> no, I don't following know. us. Who knows? Um, but it's cool. It's good news, isn't it? it is, because yeah. what it means is that bike manufacturers will be under more, even more pressure to innovate and create bikes that are not all homogenous and just looking the same. The same, like cars. Like cars, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, last piece of news. John McGuinness, very yeah. famous uh, motorcycle rider, road racer, has signed with Honda for the 2023 Isle of Man TT. Oh. So this is interesting because he had his 100th start last year yeah so i was there saw it did a, all that kind of thing and a lot of people were saying after your 100 start you've basically proven that you can do the thing yeah so surely you give up and he's 50 whatever now and so people were saying this could be the last year that we see john mcginnis race and this that and the other and he's but he signed again so he'll be there he'll be there he'll be there wow. in summer that's impressive yeah and it'll be good to see him on uh on a honda yeah so for those of you listening we are both going up to the tt this summer so stay tuned on all the socials to uh, follow that. Yeah, to follow that. I think it'd be cool. So is that the news? That is the news wrapped up. So onto our topic. Onto our topic. So this week we're going to discuss how to plan a motorcycle trip. Yes. And this is in small print, sort of on a modern classic. You know, if you've got a a, G, a big GS or or a sort of touring bike like a pan European, this is this is not the podcast for you. Yeah. Because <laughs> you just put everything in the boxes and leave. Um. Us who ride modern classics have it's not quite as straightforward as that, is it? Yeah, there's a bit as more prep involved. Yeah, so I guess it kind of depends where in the world you are, but I guess we we'll, we can kind of focus on the UK. But it's a bit of a formula that can be used anywhere. Yeah. So the first thing we've got to discuss is is kind of where you're going and and how far you're going to go on your trip. Yeah, because that dictates how much kit you're going to have to bring with you and a load of other factors as well as planning in advance because. I feel the longer the trip, the more planning is going to be needed. Yeah. Um, whether it's just a weekend or a whole week, you've got to start dividing your trip into sectors to break it down, to make it easier, just to, I suppose, to make it more manageable day by day. But yeah, deciding location is definitely an important factor before you decide anything else that you're going to take with you or whatever. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting because... Often when you think about doing a biking trip, you might say, okay, I want to be doing eight hours a day in the saddle. I mean, that's that's quite a lot. That is. Maybe you'd be doing less than that, maybe yeah. more like five. But I've done trips where I've done five hours a day and I felt like it wasn't enough. Really? Yeah, because it, you wake up early. Like, so you're not sort of lounging around in the morning. No. You just want to get up and get on the bike. And so, you know, if you're leaving at 8 a.m., by kind of midday, you're almost there. Yeah, I suppose. So... You know, I don't, I don't like the idea of, of being on a trip and just arriving at my destination at lunchtime, especially when it's normally in the summer and yeah. you've got this long day. You want to enjoy the ride. For sure. So I think depending on your style of riding, I think you can you can go sort of further than you think you'd be able to go. Yeah. 
that being said, you don't want to push yourself too far because there's nothing worse than being on a trip where you're kind of having to make you, you're basically shattered at the end of a day and you've still got like 30 or 40 oh, miles. Like, it's not a nice feeling. No. And we've we've had that in the past where we've been on we've been trying to get home. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been like, can we just stop here? Yeah. So um I think that's really important. So I'd say I'd say maybe seven to eight hours on the bike. That's a good stint. But having said that, I also think it depends on how long the trip is. So like if it's just a weekend, I think you can get away with eight hours, no problem. But if you're going away for three weeks. No, then you've got to definitely break it down. Because yeah. it will you it start to get you. sore and it starts to day by day you get broken down by fatigue, I suppose, of riding. Because it is it's tiring. Yeah. It's tiring. I mean, we've done our trip to Bath that we did, which seems like last month, time's flown. But we did that we did quite a bit of riding that day to get there. We did. And I think one of the reasons is that most people would look at London to Bath and say, oh, it's only a few hours. But it's like, when you're on a bike, you don't just want to beeline it. You don't want to be on the motorway the whole time because it's just boring. No, you want to take the scenic route. Exactly. Country roads, a few nice twisties, um, which is what we did. And how long did it take us in the end? It was probably about four hours, maybe just over four hours. Yeah, I think so. Because we did a few stops and we this, that and the other. Because we, all, we you and I both had a pillion yes. and luggage. So <laughs> it, you was, know, yeah. there was other things to factor in. As, as well as ourselves i think had we had it been just you and i we probably would have done it in half the time you know yeah. because you just did less stopping and less exactly yeah you know someone needs to lose someone needs tea someone needs coffee etc yeah you just keep going yeah so on this particular trip we had decided to stay in an airbnb yeah and this brings us on quite well to the next section which is accommodation now you really need to decide first and foremost, whether you're going to camp or whether you're going to stay in a hotel. Yeah, because that's going to dictate all the kit you bring with you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, camping can be tiring. So it is the, it's the hardest it option. Is, definitely. So you've got to factor that into your, your riding stops as well. Because if you're going to be going on a few day trip with camping at the end of each day, I think you then have to reduce your riding time considerably. You do. But also, the so we've been on, we've, we've done one camping trip together. Yeah. And we went from London to Salisbury Plain, and we did when we hit Salisbury Plain, we did nothing but trails and off-road yeah. um, tracks from there. And we we both took a slightly different setup. Uh, setup, yes, <laughs> if you if you like, which is actually perfect for this podcast because we've almost sort of done a test. And I was, I drew the short straw. I think with I think with you were you setup. were glamping, and I was camping. <sighs> Basically, what happened? What happened was. We both chose to carry all of our kit on our backs. Yeah. Because when when riding a modern classic, there's there's rarely enough room to put proper kit on the back. Yeah. And especially if you're going off road, you just don't want loose straps hanging around. You just don't. Or if you've got pannier bags hanging off the sides of the bike and you're yeah. off road and they're and sort of bouncing water. around and yeah. Exactly. So we both took the kind of backpack approach. You went light. I did. I went heavy. As you can imagine, the heavy option is the unpleasant one. I took a full 90 litre, uh, like sort of hiking rucksack. Yeah. And in that was tent, sleeping bag, roll mat, all the kit, you name it. It was all in there. Camera gear. It was extremely heavy. Yeah. It was water, food. And how can I explain it? I I, I put it on my back. It's a strap that, you know, there's that stri- the, the waist thick strap, strap that yeah. goes around the waist. And there's the little clip. Over, over your torso and it was properly heavy mm. now i think had i been on a slightly different style bike 
I would have been okay. But the nature of my scrambler is that I've got a slightly leant forward stance. It's like the bars are up, but I'm just like slightly leant slightly forward, forward when I'm yeah. riding. And that meant that there was just a constant kind of cranking, like a turning force on my back, yeah. this bag, just wanting to basically sit down. And I remember it being extremely uncomfortable. So I mean, almost unbearable. So for comparison, mine was a 40 litre bag. Yeah. And in that I had my clothing, camera gear, etc., in the bag. And then two straps on the bottom where I had my, my tent wrapped with my roll mat. So it was all sort of quite compact, neat. And it probably weighed, I mean, your bag probably weighed over 25 kilos. Yeah. Mine probably weighed just over 12. Yeah. So it's half, half the capacity, half the weight. Um, and I think mine was quite manageable for the trip. I didn't really have any complaints. Um, but when it came to sleeping, you you had your inflatable roll mat. True. With the pillow. True. So that's the trade-off. It's like, I enjoyed the ride less because I was in more pain, but then I enjoyed the sleep more. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I had my thin mat, which was not the most comfortable sleeping situation, but it, it, it worked. I got enough sleep to get by. Yeah. So I think the lesson we learned from that is if you're going to camp, you've got to strap the kit down to, yeah. the, to the bike and have, to have the weight of the kit going through the bike, not yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. I think you have to compromise, especially if you are going to be doing off-roading like we did. Yeah. It might be worth finding a campsite to leave or somewhere to leave your kit while you're riding around for the day. And if you can go and pick it back up, um, that's the ideal scenario. But if you're riding... Um, with all your kit on the bike for the whole day, yeah, it's got to be on the bike. Got to be. Because your back just can't take that the full day, especially the, the amount of weight you had. For sure. I think the sort of, the overarching point I'd make on hotels versus camping is basically always go with the hotel if you can. Yeah. But if you want to camp, it, it is, there's a certain kind of freedom to camping where you wake up in the morning and your bike is parked right next to your tent and you just get yeah. up and you kind of, it's just nice. It is nice. It is really nice. So, and it feels more adventurous, but as a result, you do have to think more about luggage and all that sort of stuff. And and inevitably you're going to be more uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I would argue it's not the most pleasant thing, kind of waking up straight and getting straight on the bike without washing your face or exactly, you know, yeah. any of that stuff. Right. Navigation. Yeah. This is important. This is really important. If you're planning a long trip, you're going to want to know where your stops are. You're going to want to know the best route to take to avoid any roadworks or traffic or any inconveniences like that. Um, so I think it's good to sit down before your trip and plan how much you're going to accomplish each day, where your stops are, just to be prepared. So if you're, let's say you're doing a, a day trip, let's say you're going from London to Liverpool, which yeah. would be, you know, three course for days, right? Yeah. How would you plan your route? So say you're just going on your own. Say I'm going on my own. So I would... From London, I'd like to get out of London as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably just jump on the North Circular, go round, and then I might jump on the motorway f- just to get a bit away from London and then divert off and start using A and B roads. Because for me, it's just more pleasant to ride A and B roads. And then I would plan... So my, my Bonnie probably gets from a tank maybe 100 miles from a tank, yeah. give or take. Um, so I would use that. I'd maybe use like an 80-mile sort of point to point as my fuel stops rest stops um because you can cover that in an hour and a half or and it's it's always nice to to know that you're you have a sort of full tank as it were yeah it's not nice being on a trip and 
and and knowing that you need fuel because exactly. you suddenly stop enjoying the ride. Well, exactly. Even coming back from uh, Duke of London yesterday, my fuel went onto reserve, and all I could think about was where's the next petrol station. Yeah. So I think that's really important. So how are you navigating that? So you 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 plan your route. Are you then memorizing? road signs etc or are you how are you how yeah so there's a few ways you could do this i mean i've seen people do it the old school way with the the tank bag with the transparent cover and the paper map for me that's that's not for me i mean i can appreciate looking at a paper map maybe before you leave laying it out on the dining room table <laughs> i tell you so just quickly it's actually a very interesting point that people actually do that have you ever you know sometimes you'll see a scooter and it'll have the screen yeah and it will have a full map a full map yeah it's amazing how they focus on I, I couldn't do it on a map that's that zoomed out especially when you're trying to keep an eye on all the traffic that's around you and just to make sure that you're riding safely and i couldn't do that for me my go-to solution would just be the quad lock with my phone google maps and then i can even save my fuel stops in the maps yep as pins so then i can just go from pin to pin to pin and it's easy it is easy i think that's the best way of doing it yeah. I think it's the best way of doing it. You know, an old boy might say, well, it's far more adventurous to have your paper map and this, that, and the other. But times have moved on, haven't they? And I yeah. think having the, the simplicity of the quad lock, where it says, click it in, you can have your phone charging at the same time yeah. you know, off the off the power craze by the battery. Now, everything on Google Maps is, is super simple. It's like you have your time, you have your distance, you have your clear routes, yeah. left, right. You know, it's just your information is there. So you don't need to deliberate too much over whether you're at the right where it's the right turning or the wrong exactly. turning it's just like you just go and i find that on longer trips that helps kind of psychologically separate the trip yeah. like it sections it out it makes it? it more relaxing as well exactly so like if you're going from london to your first fuel stop and it says you know 55 minutes you're like okay 55 minutes it's manageable it's yeah. yeah completely manageable instead of just because what i don't like doing is is doing a, a, a long trip in a day and hitting go to my final destination it just says like four hours, four hours. 55 yeah. minutes and you think oh. it just seems like a lot yeah it seems like a, a real lot so splitting it up i think works really well and quad lock phone charger yeah happy days but there's a lot of other navigation systems if you want to use a garmin or i mean yeah anything yeah. electronic navigation is going to be your friend on a long trip, hundred percent, definitely. definitely. But the phone, it the phone is probably the best. Yeah, it's just convenient. So, bike prep. Yeah, so this is important because if you're going to do an extended trip, you want to make sure your bike's in order so you don't have any hiccups on your way, on your way back, because that's the last thing you want to be stuck on the side of the road because you didn't do something silly um, before you left. So I think starting off with the basics like tire pressures fluid levels they're always important to check um and then cleaning your chain make sure it's clean lubed ready to go but there's also some stuff that you could take with you um for your trip so i normally take i have one of those little oxford toolkits it's got enough to sort of get you by just in case something happens um sometimes i'll take a couple of spanners with me as well and maybe a few allen keys just in case cause you never know and a pack of cable ties yeah. doesn't hurt do you take chain lube with you so so the only time that I've taken chain lube with me is when I've thought my chain's going to get excessively dirty or gritty or sandy. So I took chain lube to the beach race, I think, yeah. and I took it to the mile because I knew that that was going to be a couple of days of sand and grit and I just want to keep it topped up. But I think if you're doing an extended trip on the road, I would just do it before leaving. If it's going to be a really extended trip, maybe over a week, I might take it with yeah, and then do it once I get there and then you know so it's fresh for the journey back um but one thing that I also 
will start taking in my my sort of trip kit bag is that um tire reinflation spray yes. foam yeah t- t- tell everyone a bit about that because that's a that's genius really, solution yeah it's really good stuff so i was at work one day on my suzuki and i came out and i got on the bike went to pull away and i thought oh, it just feels a bit sluggish and i looked back at my rear tire it was pancake flat so i thought oh no, what am i going to do didn't have a you know you get those repair kits with the plug mm. didn't have one of those so i left the bike there for the day and i got the tube home and the next day i came back and i bought some of that yeah it's like a, in an aerosol can and it's this foam you just put it on the the nozzle and you spray it into the tire you get different size cans for different size tires so i bought for a 16 inch tire spray this stuff in and the tire just reinflates and the 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 solution that's in the foam just seals the hole from the inside it's it's great stuff so does that actually inflate the tire yeah it does it does everything so you wow. can once you've done that it's ready to go just ride and you just ride and it will last you i rode on it for 3 days before i could get my plug fixed wow okay so that's that's a no brainer then so that's yeah that's definite put that in your bag because it will save you 100% and they sell it at, um i think it's called Holt tire world okay I think it's something like that. They sell it at Halfords. You Perfect. can get it there. Yeah, awesome. It's a great essential. Yeah, that, that saves having to take the pump and the, the plug. Yeah, it so just does everything. That's awesome. Now, clothing and gear is is important. Bearing in mind you're on a modern classic, if you're doing a long trip, what, what sort of kit are you wearing? I think it's better to have too much than not enough because yeah. there's nothing worse than you're going down an A-road or whatever and it's you're feeling cold and it's uncomfortable. So I think I definitely have proper biking trousers and jacket and some layers that I can take on or off depending on the temperature, um, but also waterproofs. Mm. I would most definitely take waterproofs with me because especially in the UK. Have we ever been on a trip where we've gotten properly rained on, where we haven't expected it? I can't think so, of Well, we did that one we went to uh, Henley. Okay, yeah. that There was that one day. The one day. <laughs> and I left home on my Triumph and got absolutely soaked within the first five minutes of riding. So I turned home and I went and got my Suzuki and I put all my waterproof kit on <laughs> and then left again. And you and Bertie were still in all your your jeans and everything and oh, you got soaked. We did. It's not, it's not great getting soaked, is it? No. But it is just a fact of life. So yeah, waterproofs, definitely take them. So what else have we got on our, our list? So... There are a few other little extras that I think you've got to be aware of. So we've got breakdown cover, yeah. which could be worth thinking about. Although if you're riding bikes like ours that are sort of notoriously reliable, you shouldn't need it. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, but you just never know. Yeah. Um, and it's good to have that peace of mind that if you're halfway up the country, you've got a cover that will take you home. True. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> you just never know. Imagine trying to organize a, a lift from Lincolnshire or somewhere. Yeah. Now, communication, this is our last point. Say, I mean, there's basically two ways you can do it. You can go the kind of the Cardo um, intercom system on the helmet yeah. if you're with someone else. Or you could do kind of hand signals, which is what we yeah. basically do. <laughs> yeah. Hand signals plus, I would say, if, you're, if you've ridden with someone for enough time and you almost have like a level of chemistry where you can almost communicate without words. You can or, just look at each other and yeah, you know you look, what you yeah, need. Exactly, yeah. which, is, which, is quite, which is quite good. Um, and I always know when you need fuel because there's a kind of, it's like a, it's always like a half panic look. And I saw it yesterday, <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's all right. So 
we we haven't done we haven't used the intercom well you have i have so i've used it with a friend and it's really cool because you can just sit and have a conversation but it's also good if you're the one navigating and there's a turning coming up you can sort of give them a heads up okay roundabout third exit boom it's done um whereas we actually had on the way to duke of london yesterday we had a bit of a mishap because our leader had got sort of separated from us and we got a bit ahead and we got to a junction on the uh, the west way and we're like do we come off here do we keep going do we come and we actually sort of ended up in the middle of the junction where the the chevrons are no and then we had to pull back off and we kept going um but for that sort of situation it's good to have the communication because then the group leader or whoever's navigating can just sort of through the intercom guys keep going straight for x amount um but also I think it, with communication, it's good to have, always ensure you've got your phone on you because if you're traveling solo, um, one, let people know where you're going and let them know your route and your stops just in case anything would happen. Um, and two, just so you can call people and let them know that you've made it to your destination, that you've made it to your stop, just to send a text message to someone close to you so they know that you're safe and making good progress, I suppose. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. Um, any other extras? I think that's about it. That's, uh, if you guys have any burning questions about trips, then let us know and we'll reply to you individually. Yeah, we can try get you an answer. Right, guess the engine. Yes, let's do, we it. do it. Yeah, why don't, why don't you go first? Shall I go first? Yeah. Okay, so I've got two. You've today. got two. Perfect. So now, by the way, we had nothing but positive feedback about the sort of production side of things. So yeah. we hope that's all fixed. So we've had an improvement. So here's the first one. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so, my, so, so aftermarket exhaust. Aftermarket exhaust. Okay, Akropovich. Yes. Okay, so it's definitely an inline four. Yep. It is a. It's a sport bike. It's it definitely is because it's aggressive. It's. But I would say the way that it was. So it was obviously a dyno run. The way that it was revving, it wasn't. It was only revving to maybe like ten thousand RPM before it was. Okay. It was upshifting, and so what that tells me is that. I don't think it's an all-out litre bike. I don't think it's a Fireblade. I don't think it's an R1. I think it could be... Um, I, I think it's a Japanese... Japanese. I reckon it's a Japanese sport bike, but it's one of these... Like the... You know how you've got like the kind of Ninja H2? You've got... Yeah. Or, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Hayabusa. It's a Hayabusa. It's actually... It is. No, thirteen hundred R Hayabusa twenty twenty one. Okay, <laughs> happy days. Okay, right, no, yes. okay, good. But to be fair, that actually it does make sense because it doesn't. It wasn't winding up quite like a sport bike. No. would. It was more. You could. You could also hear that it had three hundred more cc's of kind of grunt. It's the torque. The extra torque. So yeah. that's a rev as high. No, that that yeah, cool. Okay, well done. Here's one for you. Go on. Interesting. I know. It's a twin. 
It's a twin. Okay, it's a twin. There's a pops and crackers. Sounds quite high performance, but yeah, it's so off- aftermarket exhaust. Aftermarket exhaust. Akropovich again. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I want to say it's a. It's not Japanese. No. Okay. Is it British? No. It's not. So it's got to be Italian. Oh no. This is tricky. Oh yeah, I know, I know, mm. I know, I know. It's a twin. It's it's a twin where, when you hear what it is, you will. It's not like a common twin, but you you know the bike, hundred percent. And okay. if you saw one, you'd be like, oh look, there's a da da. Is it, is it like a super naked or something? Kind no, of. It's not quite. I mean, no. it depends who you're asking, but it, but I I would say no. Mm, interesting. But it would ride like one. Ride okay. Um. I feel like I'm terrible at these. No, 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 no. It's like a V-twin. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a V-twin. It's not Japanese. Correct. European. No. It's not European. Oh, this is throwing a real cover. And it's not ja- so it's not Japanese. It's not European. British. No. Not British. No. American. Yeah. Is it some kind of... It's some kind of Harley. No. It's not. <laughs> it's American. An Indian? Yes. Oh, is it Indian... Uh, oh, what's it called? Not a scout. Sca- not, not a scout. No. What's the other one? FTR. Yes. It's an FTR. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's like. So yeah, FTR, twelve hundred. I would have never have guessed that. Yeah. Wow. Really aggressive sound, but they are. Yeah. They really are. Yeah, they're mega quick. So, here's my next one for okay. you. Here we go. That's also aftermarket. Aftermarket. Okay, so I'm going to go straight up and say that that is that is a Triumph twin. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, that is a whistle. That has the whistle That's of a Triumph whistle. twin. Yeah. It, yes. All right. Is that a speed twin? Close. Uh. Well, Thruxton. Close. You could just sort of reel off the Triumph twins. T120. You, you you get the venture. No. Okay, so it's not a Thruxton. It's not a T120. It's probably the last one you'd choose. Oh, is it a street twin? <laughs> the street twin. It's a street twin, okay. Well done. Very good, very good. It's actually kind of hard to tell the difference between the 900 and 1200 sounds. Yeah, but, okay. very similar. Yeah, but it has that, that whistle is is from a twin is so triumph. Yeah. Of the liquid cool yeah, definitely. era. So, uh, yeah, no, good one. Okay, here's your second one. Okay, so inline four. No. No. I'm terrible. I'm not having a good day. I'm the cold weather has frozen my brain. Um triple. Yep. Okay, it's a triple. Hmm. Is it a triumph triple? Yeah. Is it is it a uh a speed triple? Yep. Is it the was it the ten ten ninety speed triple? One generation on. One generation on. I'm terrible with my so it's most recent. The most recent. So it's a speed triple. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. Yeah, I didn't know they did a twelve hundred speed triple. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, cool. that whistle. 
That triple whistle. That triple whistle. Okay, Q&A. Yes. Let's do it. Let's answer your questions. So quite a few this week. Do you want to kick it off? Yes. In true nature, what do you wear to keep warm in this weather on the bike? And that's, hey, my name is Rob. So this morning when I came over, I was wearing uh, a base thermal layer on top. This is on top. And on bottom, I've got thermal long johns on, uh, jeans on the bottom and two pairs of socks, like a thick pair and a thin pair. Then on top, I have a long sleeve, a t-shirt, a wool jumper and my bike jacket. And then also I've got an open face helmet. So I've got one of those neck tubes, like a balaclava neck tube that just has like a face hole. So that keeps the top of my head and my ears warm. And then I've got a thick neck tube that I pull up over my ears and have over my face with my goggles and winter gloves. So quite a few layers, but the only thing that really suffered this morning was my hands. Mm. Everywhere else is quite warm. What about you? Yeah, for me, it's it's the hands. The hands are the most important bit. Yeah. You know, you can do the whole thermal thing and that's definitely important. But if the hands are cold, then it's very unpleasant. Exactly. So, yeah, keep those hands warm. Yeah. So we have one from... Oh, let's see. Alper.c, which is what CC is your bike? My bike is, what, 900 from the sort of catalogue, but 865 yeah. in reality. Same as mine. Yeah. They're both uh, Triumph 900s, but they're 865. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, often when they'll say, they'll say Triumph Scrambler 900, it's not actually 900 CCs exactly. Like in the same way that a litre bike, it might say, you know, an R1 might be 1000 CC, but it's actually 998. So it's not yeah. always what you think yeah but it's basically there it is yeah they round it up so the next question okay so this is quite an unusual one from brian badgers if you had to evade an angry bear on any bike what would it be <laughs> now i'm assuming that this is in in some kind of forest scenario where you're you're sort of a, a bear comes out and you're in siberia yeah and suddenly you can you can sort of magically spawn any bike yeah there and then so I would have to have an enduro bike of some sort. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to be in the forest, there's going to be falling trees and stuff. You want to be able to get over them easily. I wouldn't want something too heavy, but I'd also want something with enough punch to just get me out of there. Mm. So it would have to be some sort of, maybe like a, um, like a 300 two-stroke KTM or something. Yeah. Um, something nice and lightweight. What would yours be? I think I think that is that is the best answer. But I, I'm imagining... Yeah, I'm imagine I, I would need something incredibly light, like almost like a one two five two stroke, just something that's that's so yeah. like I'm imagining kind of fallen trees. Da -da. Yeah, so just something to yeah. zip away because I'd imagine I'd imagine a, going flat out a, a bear would find it quite hard to keep up with a one two five. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's what I'd go with. So great, great question. Here's one from uh, Libin Joseph thirty. Why are we not interested in sports bikes? Oh, well, we are. We are. We love them. Yeah. No, I mean, there's there. I, I love every type of bike. Yeah. Um, maybe apart from kind of city scooters. Yeah, there's there's a place for all of them. I think sport bikes are a kind of, I don't know, they're, they're an amazing, they're an amazing bit of kit, but I haven't had much experience on them. Jed's had far more. Yeah. But, you know, we both dream of R1s and, and, yeah. and Panigales. They're amazing. They're amazing bikes. So, so I've I've had a bit more yeah experience on a sort of sports bike platform, um, and they are great. There's just nothing like a feeling of 
piling into a corner, hanging off the side of the bike and getting your knee down. It's just something, yeah, it's, you, you can't match it on any other bike. So that's why they have a place in my heart. Love sports bikes. Yeah. Now, Toby H asks, any tyre recommendations for a Bonnie T120? So that'd be road tyres. Road tyres. Okay. A T120. So, and I would say, as long as it's not a Pirelli Phantom. Yeah. That's the number one tyre to steer clear of, yeah. which is what they come with from stock. Which is just appalling. Yeah. Um, I think there's loads of good options out there. Um, as far as sizing goes, I don't know if on my, the only, well, the only road tire experience that I've had has been on my Suzuki and I have the Diablo Rosso fours on there. They're from Pirelli. Um, and they're a really good tire. They have sort of a band of harder compound rubber in the middle for when you're just daily riding. And then the edges for when you're cornering are a bit softer. Um, and I've never had any issues. I did track down those tires and they're brilliant. Um, I don't know what sizes they go down to though. Uh, but there's loads of options out there for road tires. Hundred percent. Most most modern options have been tied and tried and tested enough that you're going to get a good performing tire. Sweet. So we have from here we go, Martin Visser. Uh, what are the best sunglasses for open faced helmets? Um, I don't want to cry at higher speeds. <laughs> Fair enough. It's quite um, an interesting question, actually, because yeah. depending on... I've had some shades where they're a bit on the smaller side and the wind does get in and you do end up with your eyes watering when you hit the motorway. But I feel most of the time that I'm riding, I will go for goggles over sunglasses if I'm doing motorway mileage because just the high speed does affect your eyes after one. There's not a lot of sunglasses that will fully protect you. I mean, you can get some of those cycling ones that do sort of have the, the sealed... Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think goggles are a must. The only, the only scenario I would wear sunglasses on the motorway is if I'm on a Harley shovel head going like 55 miles an hour yeah. in the slow lane, just chilling. Yeah. Otherwise, no way. No, you just you can't do it. You, they they don't give you the protection either. And they're so with those gaps. If you get a fly or a bug at that speed going in your eye, you you just can't have it. Um, for around town, I mean, I have this pair of Persol uh, sunglasses that have. They're sort of leather shades on the side, like wind protection, and they've got mm. like a little leather piece that goes in the bridge. Um, they do offer a bit more wind protection, but nothing noticeable than just a larger pair of shades. Cool. So, yeah, you have to compromise, I think. Sweet. Right, question from ZBVN is, if same price slash year, which would be your best pick? A Sportster 883, that's a Harley, a BMW R9T, or a Triumph Scrambler 900? This is tricky. I think it's it's down to the R90 and the, the Scrambler 900 for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Sportster. Mm. There's other Harleys out there that I prefer. Yeah. I think it would have to be the Triumph. I've just got to stick with the, what I know and what I like. Yeah. I do appreciate the R90 though. Yeah, it's a Very cool nice bike. bike. Yeah, really cool bike. Okay, uh, let's see. This is quite a, a jokes question from uh, Connor J. Lewis. Who is the more skilled rider out of the two of us? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, classic. Um, I think we both are skilled more in different areas. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. I would say I would say you're definitely a better road rider. Yeah, yeah, you've got the off-road I would say that, that would probably be the split. I, 
It's actually it's actually an interesting one. We ought to test. We ought to put it to we the should. test. We should. Maybe not on the road. No. But no. But we've raced before on the road. But like just in a you just know playfully, yeah, playfully. But it'd be really fun actually to go to a track. I would need a bit of. I would need like a couple of days. I need to go a couple of days ahead of you and just kind of <laughs> yeah get a feel get for it. Familiar. But somewhere we could put it to the test would be the Isle of Man. Yes. Because there's that there's an open stretch of mountain road that is there's no speed limit. You can just go for it. That's true. It's not the best place to crash if if you do because it's <laughs> either it's not. either a, a medieval wall or a cliff. So yeah, we should we should we should definitely put that to the test. It'd yeah. be really fun. But I think for now, I think you're definitely the better off-road rider and maybe I've got more riding oh, yeah. experience. Definitely. Definitely. 100%. No, that's a that's a funny question. That is a funny question. Okay, last question from MCHN. Do you love Ducati? I do. Yeah, I think this it's it's almost like the Ferrari of the biking world, isn't it? It's just mm. that Italian finesse. They're just designed so well, and they look stunning. And I've I haven't ridden a Ducati, but I've sat on a few, and just you almost feel like you're riding 100 miles an hour just sitting on one. Mm. No, they are amazing. They are really cool bikes. And I would love to have one at some point. I'd love to have a Panigale or a Street mm. Fighter or something. They're just aggressive. They are. They just want to go fast. And they, they look like they're going fast on the kickstand. Is there any Ducati you wouldn't want to own? Um, oh, yeah. There's a, maybe a Multistrada. <laughs> have you seen the first gen Multistrada? The, with the headlight that yeah, swivels. With the, no, it's just not a bit of me. Or is it the screen that turns? The headlight stays still, but the screen <laughs> yeah. turns on top of the headlight with the handlebar. I don't know what they were thinking when they designed that. Yeah, is beyond me. But no, whether it's like a super motard, even the um, hyper motard, hyper motard. Sorry, <laughs> hyper motard, um, street fighter, Panigale, uh, or the I always get the pronunciation wrong. Is it the D- Diavol? Diavol, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're even really cool. Yeah, they're sick. Super aggressive muscle bike. Um, yeah, we both love Ducati. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. There we have it. That is episode eight. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Ciao. Cheers.